We can be tempted to do things we should not do. Uh, and in the three temptations recorded for us of Jesus in the wilderness, that's what was happening. He was being tempted to do things he shouldn't do. Turn stones into bread, uh, jump off the, the top of the temple and be caught by angels, um, or bow down to worship the devil. Three things that obviously he should not do, and, and those were the, that was the nature of his temptations. But we can also be tempted not to do the things that we should do, uh, to fail, sins of omission they're often called, not doing the things that, that, that we're called upon to do. And Jesus um, encounters that here in these passages, this passage we've just read. His mission in the world was to include it very largely to die uh, as a sacrifice for, for sinners. Uh, a, a calling, a task that filled him with horror to perform. And he was tempted not to do it. And that is what we find him struggling with in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the first, I don't know if you can remember that far back, but in the first of the three, the, the earlier three studies, I, I pointed out that one of the things that we often struggle with in thinking about Jesus being tempted and therefore being sympathetic with us is that we say, well, he didn't have a sinful nature, um, uh, and whereas we do. Uh, and so could temptation really get its grip on him like it can on us? You know, he he having a, a perfectly sinless nature um, wouldn't have wanted to, to sin whereas we do um, but I pointed out at that time that the first of those three temptations in the wilderness he was tempted after 40 days of fasting and we're told he was hungry no surprise there but that is emphasised in the telling of the, of the story um, and the temptation to, to, to eat, to turn stones into bread, which he could have done, uh, appealed to a real appetite within him, a real need, a real, real felt need for food. Uh, it wasn't a sinful desire, but it was a powerful desire. And so therefore he really does know what it's like um, to fight a temptation where his whole being was longing to do what would have been wrong for him to do at that moment. He really does know what it's like to struggle. Well, here we see, similarly, surely, when he was faced with um, this temptation not to die, not to be killed, not to be tortured, um, there was within him a natural good desire not to go through with it, a healthy desire not to. And so the struggle was one that he really felt. He really felt the desire not to, not to be crucified. So the first point I, I want to make is one that I'm, I've been making all along, really, which is this lean on Jesus. Do you remember Hebrews chapter 4? We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with us in our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. He is, he is sympathetic. We can lean upon him in our times, when we are really struggling, I want to go the wrong way. You know, it's so appealing, it's so attractive, or I really don't want to do the right thing because it's so difficult, so challenging, perhaps so expensive in one way or another, emotionally, financially, or 
um, it just in terms of hard work or whatever it might be, I don't want to do it. Well, lean on Jesus in times like that because he knows what it feels like not to want to do what is the right thing to do because it, it will hurt so much. He really does know. Chapter 26, verse 38, he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful to the point of death. In anticipation of what was about to happen, what was about to be done to him, what he was about to allow to be done to him, he was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This was Thursday night. He was soon to be betrayed by one of his closest friends. He would be arrested. He would be tortured brutally, physically. He would be deserted by his friends. He would face a mockery of a trial when he would be falsely accused, found guilty on false charges, and then executed in the most physically agonizing way that could be imagined, crucified the next day. And when he says he was exceedingly sorrowful, that, that, that means he it's a word that means sorrowful all around. It was like as if sorrow had ambushed him, overwhelmed him, and even to the point of death, the, the anticipation of it was almost uh, murderous. It was almost killing him, just thinking about what was going to happen. It was agony, agony to his mind and his soul, his heart, thinking about what he was, what was a, wasn't in front of him. And there's really no surprise at that, is there? <laughs> Who wouldn't be? Who wouldn't be? And rightly so. There's nothing wrong in feeling that way. Jesus felt that way. Some of us maybe have been troubled with where, where he said, not my will but yours be done. Is this to say, well, was, did Jesus have the wrong will? Was he wanting the wrong thing? Was it sinful for Jesus to have a will that was contrary to his father's will? Good question. Glad you asked it. Um, is it possible that Jesus' will was sinful? Well, I, I want to show, no, it, it, his will was not sinful. Every component of his will not to be killed was healthy. Bar one which is exactly why he was praying about it. An act of the will to do what is right. No, healthy. The inner instinct for self-preservation. Well, where would we be without it? Tragic, absolutely tragic if anybody loses it. It's healthy, it's good, it's necessary, it's right. The, the avoidance of physical pain. Good. If you lose it, you can't if you become numb you will injure yourself left right and center do enormous damage it's a healthy instinct not to want to feel physical pain that is good that is right an inner longing for justice and a, the horror of being falsely accused being labeled as, with something that you have not done and in a court of law supposedly condemned wrongly it is a natural good instinct, isn't it? Not to be falsely, falsely condemned. 
not to be falsely accused to start with and certainly not to be falsely condemned. That is good. And then, perhaps I, worst of all, after 33 years of living a sinless life, of overcoming temptation throughout that whole life, of keeping himself pure and holy and righteous and good, to know that he was going to be blamed and laid upon, have laid upon him all of the sins of all of his people who have, that they have ever committed and be blamed in the, by, by, by God himself as if he were the worst of sinners who had ever lived. This holy, pure, righteous, good, loving, obedient son to bear sin. Utterly, utterly abhorrent. Not just to be accused by people, but to be accused by his father. We're told in verse 37 that he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. I think what that, that means is that the, it really began to get big. Because he'd faced this before, as we saw when we read uh, in Matthew chapter 16. This began to become overwhelming now. But he had faced this challenge before, at least on one occasion. At least on one occasion. When Peter said, no, when Jesus said, I'm going to be arrested and, and killed, and, and Peter said, no, that's not, no, no way. And what did Jesus say? Well, we read it. He turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. So similar to what he said in the wilderness, you are an offence or a stumbling block to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Peter wasn't just wrong, he was dangerously wrong. He wasn't just misunderstanding, he wasn't just thinking in a worldly human way rather than a godly divine way, but he was a stumbling block to Jesus. Because he was a temptation to go Peter's way, to go man's way, to go the world's way, rather than to go his father's way. He was a temptation to turn around and not go to Jerusalem, but go someplace else where it was safer. He was a temptation to agree with Peter and say, no, why should that happen to me? Why should I let that happen to me? This eternity of purity before he ever became a human being and then 33 years of sinless life this pure and clear conscience this perfect relationship with his father and the Holy Spirit why should he let that be disrupted by bearing our sin in his body on the cross no, every component of his will was good, was good, but it was not the eternal plan. It was not the plan that he and his father had devised before the world was even made. So he prays as an act of will, three times over, not my will but yours be done. Well, he, he prays three times and... He prays the first time at least, not my will but yours be done. We'll see how that develops in a moment. And as he was being crucified, of course the temptation returned again. 
Matthew 27, verse 40 says this, passers-by said to him this, Save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Reminiscent, in a way, of the first temptation in the wilderness, isn't it? Use your sonship to serve yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Temptation, even at that moment, when, as he was actually being crucified, to turn, it, turn around and rescue himself. Well, the chief priests who said, uh, Matthew twenty-seven forty-three, he trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. So reminiscent of the second temptation in the wilderness, isn't it? You say you're the Son of God, well, do you trust? Do you trust? Well, okay, do you, do you really have this safe relationship with the Father? Okay, well then, um, let him catch you up. Let him take you away. Let him rescue from you from this situation. Like jump off the top of the temple and let the angels catch you. Similar, isn't it? If you are the Son of God. Almost everything in Jesus must have recoiled utterly at the thought of what he was about to do. Temptation had been there previously in his, in his, in his life. It was there in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was there again as he was being crucified. Don't do it. Don't do it. Rescue yourself. Call out for rescue. So Jesus knows what it is like to battle temptation that appeals to our nature. He really does. He is sympathetic. We can call out to him when we are in trouble. We're never going to be in trouble like this. But when we are in trouble, he really does understand. And he loves us so much. He loves his father so much that he did what he'd been called upon to do for us. So let's turn to him in our weaknesses and our temptations, knowing he does sympathise. And let's use this as a, indeed as another weapon in our arsenal when we are tempted. You know, the temptation... There is, have you ever faced this temptation? I can indulge this sin because Jesus died for me. Have you ever been tempted like that? I, I can do what's wrong or I can not do what's right. Well, Jesus died for me. So, basically, I can get away with it. But rather, think this way. I must not indulge this sin. I must not give in to this temptation because Jesus died for me. It was my sins he was agonising over in the Garden of Gethsemane, along with millions of other people. But it was my sins. My sins of doing what's wrong. My sins of not doing what's right. That he was agonising over. So I must not say I can get away with it because he died for me. I must say I mustn't do it. Because he died for me. And that's what it meant to him. Overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, even thinking about it. He was in the garden agonising for our sins. So first of all then, lean on Jesus. Secondly, learn from Jesus. 
um, he prayed to overcome temptation. And, and, and he was also teaching his disciples by word and by example how they should overcome temptation. He said to them, pray that you enter not into temptation. Uh, uh, he taught them that's what they should do and he set the example to them. He prayed and he overcame temptation. They fell asleep and they gave in to temptation. Lesson is absolutely obvious, isn't it? Crystal clear. Couldn't be simpler. Prayer is a tremendous weapon in the battle against temptation. Previously in the wilderness, we'd seen him using the Bible as his weapon against temptation. Quoted the Bible those three occasions to to um, overcome the temptation that he was facing. Here we see this other weapon, prayer, as a way to overcome temptation. Chapter twenty-six, verse forty-one: Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And he was, he, so he taught his disciples, he was caring for them, he showed them by example, he invited them to come along with him as he prayed, and he was comforting to them, over rebuking them, could you not? But also, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So, even in his, this time when he was overwhelmed with sorrow, could actually be so sympathetic with his sleepy disciples who left him in the lurch. It's wonderful, isn't it? The Bible shines light, and we use that weapon, shines light into the darkness of temptation. Well, prayer turns us to God whilst temptation turns us away from him. I don't know if I've told you this story before. I might have done. I was trying to remember. It would have been a long time ago if I did, so you've probably forgotten, same as I have. Um, I was travelling on the on the tube uh, on one occasion, and uh, walking down the you know one of the tunnels, tunnel passageways, <clears throat> and you know how there are adverts all the way down the sides of the of the um, corridors, and oftentimes those adverts are have beautiful women um, as part of the eye catcher in the in the advert and. Well, my eye was caught uh, by one of these pictures of a beautiful woman. And they're there to catch people's eyes and make people think certain things. Do you know what the next thing was I saw as I carried on walking down? I saw an emergency telephone <laughs> on, the, on the wall just next to this big um, placard, big advert. And I thought to myself... Thank you, Lord, <laughs> because I've always got an emergency telephone. Um, didn't need the didn't need the actual thing on the wall, but my spiritual emergency telephone. I could always call out to God in the emergency of temptation, and that's what it is. It's an emergency. Thank you, Lord, that I always have an emergency telephone. Notice here, uh, verse 39, that he totally prostrated himself. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed. This is an act of of complete submission to his father, isn't it? Fell on his face and prayed. Uh, Complete submission, but also a profound need for help. He he didn't just sit comfortably, he didn't stand up, he, he didn't distract himself with anything else no he, he fell 
on his face and prayed. Now, if Jesus needed to fall on his face to pray, don't we need to be serious about this when we pray? I'm not saying we have to fall on our faces literally all the time, but it shows the intensity, the submission, the profound sense of need. But there are but also notice there are three components common to all three prayers. Matthew tells us one prayer number one and then prayer number two and then says prayer number three was the same as number two. Matthew gives us a bit more detail than the, the others, the other um, narrators. Here are the three here are the three components that are common. The cup, what he refers to as a cup, which is the cup of suffering. It's a cup of suffering or a cup of wrath. The wrath of his, the wrath of God against the sin he was going to carry. Our sin. There will be a cup of suffering. Familiar Old Testament kind of uh, metaphor. That's in all that's in all three. Also in all three is my father. My father. Here is relationship, here is submission, here is love. Assurance even. My father. My oh my oh my father. And also in all three there is the Father's will. Verse 39, as you will. Verse 42, uh, your will be done. So prayer number one, as you will. Prayers, prayers number two and three, your will be done. Your will be done. And we need those three components in our prayer when we face temptation, don't we? Submissive. Your will be done. Specific. This cup. What is it you're facing? Your temptation, your challenge, your trial, your difficulty, your suffering. What is it? Be specific. And assured, my father. My father. My father. But also notice a development in the prayer. They're not identical. Number one and number... Number one is slightly different for numbers two and three. Slight difference, but it's there. Verse 39 says this, If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Whereas verse 42, that's prayers two and three, say, If this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. So the first prayer is, If if possible, and my will. Second and third prayer, no mention of his own will. See that? (coughs) Prayer was working. Prayer was working. He'd already got there, really. He'd already got there, really, by, by by the second prayer. No mention of his own will. But who else would drink that cup? If this cup will not pass away from me unless I drink it, well, who else is going to drink it? This cup of suffering? This cup of wrath? Well, if he didn't drink it, we must. We must. It's our cup, really, isn't it? It's our cup. 
Have you just had the Lord's Supper this afternoon? Well, there you are. You, you sit at the table. You sit at the table, you're on one side of the table, Jesus is on the other side of the table. And there are two cups. One cup is delightful. Imagine whatever you want. Lovely cup of something really delicious. The other cup is foaming and bitter and hideous. Who's going to drink which cup? He reached first. And he took the poison's cup and drank it for you. And all that's left is the cup of blessing for you. Who else would drink this cup if he didn't? Where would it go? We would drink it for eternity. Prayer works. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes us. It turns us to God. You know, he's showing them, isn't he? If only they'd been awake. <laughs> Anybody fallen asleep? If only, if only they'd been awake. They, they would have heard this difference, wouldn't they? they said, well, that's, what I, that's how I need to pray. Lord, I don't want to do your will. I don't want to do, do your will. And my reasons are bad. Jesus' reasons were good. My reasons are bad. But I will turn to you, my Father, in submission, weakness. And may it be that actually I don't think about my will anymore. But I think about your will and how your will will be accomplished, even through me. Prayer turns us to God. It focuses on our relationship with him and makes us think through our needs and preferences in the light of God's purposes and God's plan. Thirdly, so we've got had lean on Jesus. He really is sympathetic and understanding and caring. He really does know. He really does know. Secondly, learn from Jesus. He was teaching his disciples how to overcome temptation here, as well as doing so for himself. Let's learn from him. Pray. Use that weapon. Thirdly, live through Jesus. I don't know who it was who first noticed this, but two of the most significant events in human history are kind of mirror images of each other. The temptation of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and the temptation of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. They're, they're both temptations in gardens and they both relate to a tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil from which Adam, Adam and Eve should not eat and the tree of the cross, it's sometimes referred to as a tree in the Bible, um, that Jesus was to be crucified upon. So there, there are similarities, and, and eating or drinking, of course, is related to both as well. The difference is this. The challenge to Adam and Eve was this. Obey me and live. challenge to Jesus was obey me and die Adam and Eve did not obey and they died and their death 
falls upon us. Jesus obeyed and he did die for us that we might live through him. They, they, they disobeyed and their death passes to us. He obeyed and for all who believe in him his life passes on to us. Amen. There are two, tree, two trees. Where would you rather be? <laughs> in the deadly dark shadow of Adam and Eve's tree or in the refreshing shade of Jesus' tree <laughs> under the tree that brought death or under the tree the cross that brings life I would say please renounce Adam and Eve say I I'm poisoned by them. I know it in my heart. I'm poisoned by them. I followed their example far too many times. I carry the death, their death in me. But I renounce them. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. The obedient one. The loving one. The perfect one. And I want the life. I want the life that he gives through his choice to obey and die. So lean on Jesus in your struggles, he really understands. Learn from Jesus in your temptations. He prayed and overcame. They didn't pray and they failed. Learn from Jesus in his prayers and live through Jesus in your choices. Renounce Adam Choose Jesus. Cross from one tree to the other, from death to life. Belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Embrace him and his obedient power and love. And have the life that he died to bring pray oh Lord we feel the, the dark death of Adam and Eve in our hearts theirs was such a simple challenge and so are ours so often and yet we fail so again and again and again we do what we should not do and we do not do what we should thank you for Jesus whose challenge was heartbreaking, overwhelming almost murderous in the contemplation of it oh Lord thank you for him he did not give in he died that we might live he was punished that we might be forgiven please help us to trust in him Aside with him, to belong to him. Lord, would you work in us that longing to be his, please, even right now? And help us to learn from him. Pray when we're tempted. And help us to lean upon him in our weaknesses.
day by day. Thank you for Jesus.